you are here with us. If you are with us via some other form of media, then we are glad that you're with us this morning also. We're going to continue on our study today of the writings of John in 1 John. But before we start, I want to talk about a couple of things. Our society today, which we all know is bombarded with messages telling us how we should think or feel. A lot of these messages try to tell us what will or what should make us happy. At least they attempt to convey this idea to us. Um, convey the idea of this is the product that will make you feel good. This is the product that will make you happy. This is the answer to everything that you're looking for. And a lot of times we don't realize how much influence that the things around us have. And if you ask a lot of Christians, they would say, well, I'm not influenced by the world at all. Let me ask you a couple questions here. Either finish these examples or please say what brand it is. Fly the friendly skies of United. Bet you can't eat just one. Lay's potato chips, very good. Have it your way. Burger King. You guys aren't very good. <laughs> like a good neighbor is like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Here's another one. You're in good hands with everybody knows that one. Even if they stopped insuring your house this year. So whether we like it or not, or whether we want to admit it or not, the things that we see, the things that we read, the things that pop up on TV when we're watching TV, those things give us a view of something. We have that United is friendly. That Lay's potato chips are so good that you can't just eat just one. You have to eat a bunch. And we know how good they are for you. At Burger King, you can get your hamburger any way you want with all the stuff on it that you want. And if you want somebody that's going to treat you like a good neighbor, you have to go to State Farm. And when we look at all these things, we see that really what the world is trying to tell us is these are the things that you should do to have what you want. And there's nothing wrong with advertising. There is nothing wrong with marketing a product in a clever way. That's part of, of capitalism in our society. Where it becomes a problem is when our life's ambition becomes about filling the needs in our life with the things that are marketed to us. When we lose focus of what is important and we start living our life after the commercials, then that can become a problem. As wonderful as some of these products might be, None of them offer true hope. None of them offer true peace. None of them offer true love. And none of them offer true joy. Today I want to look at what truly influences our views. Is it the principles that Christ taught? Or is it the things of the world around us? And let's go to 1 John chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. Dear friends, if our hearts do not content, condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because he obeys we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. In verse 21, John was saying that, when our hearts rest in what God wants, when we are asking things in accordance with his will, it is then we can have confidence that our prayers will be answered. When we are following God's commandments and we're living our lives in a way that's pleasing to him, it's then that our hearts that would normally be condemning us, as it says in verse 21, it says, our hearts doesn't condemn us anymore. Why? Because we're living the way that we know that we're supposed to. The, an 
And as a result of that, as the scripture is saying here, because our heart does not condemn us, then we can be calmed and we can approach God with faith, as it says in verse 22, that we can receive from him anything we ask. Now, it's interesting. The word that, that John used here for confidence is a Greek word, that, or it comes from the Greek word, parisia. It's the same word that John used in 1 John 2 and 28, which we read just a couple weeks ago. 1 John 2 and 28. And now, dear, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Some translations actually translate this word as boldness. And when you put it in that context of boldness, it's like it changes it a little bit to that when we approach God, as John has described, we can freely and plainly speak before God with no fear because we have boldness. Because we know that we have done the things that God has commanded us to do. And because we have done those things, our heart doesn't condemn us. So when we come before God, we come before Him with boldness knowing that we're His children. And that He loves us. According to John, there are definite conditions for answered prayer. And I know you've probably thought of this before. And then we like to kind of push this aside, but this is in our scripture text this morning, and I really want to take a look at this. The praying Christian, according to the writing that we are reading this morning, the praying Christian must obey God's commandments and do what pleases him. That's what it says. In these verses, the the idea of when we pray we should pray according to God's will, are somewhat implied. That we don't just pray for for just anything that we just happen to want at the time. But when we pray, we pray in God's will. And it's somewhat implied in this passage, but later on, in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, he doesn't even beat around the bush about it. This is what he, John wrote. This is the confidence we have. Again, that same word in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Just in case you misunderstood it in the chapter before, or the two chapters before, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if if, if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. So... Too many times I think we as Christians, we, we get into a place where we start to consider God as a holy ATM machine. That when we need something, we go put our little card in, it says we're a Christian, and we punch in what we want, and we expect it to come flying out of the, the little thing there. That's exactly right. We are to pray in God's will. That's why we have to... We have to stay in a relationship with God so that we know what His will is. Because our will is strong. Our will is, as a human being is different than the will of God. Our nature is different than the nature of God. In both of the cases, in both of these writings of John, the obeying of God's commands and doing His will, the emphasis is on the habitual conduct of a person's life. John was not suggesting that occasionally we would keep God's commandments so that we could run to God and ask for something and then go back to living like we were before. I'll just be good long enough to get what I want, and then I'll go back to doing what I want. That's not what John was saying. He's saying that this is the way your life should be. You need to live a holy life. You need a to live according to the will of God. And if you're doing that, you can approach me with boldness and I'll answer your prayers. Another thing that John makes clear. In verse 23, he says that we must believe in Jesus Christ. And everybody goes, well, that's no problem. I believe in Jesus Christ. Let's just end that scripture right there. But he doesn't end it. He says, 
And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Oh, no, I was doing real good with that first part. And you had to throw that that love one another part in there, and, and that's just not quite as easy. John had mentioned this love one another thing earlier in 1 John 3 and 11. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Just right to the point, no beating around the bush. This is a commandment. He's talking about back when you were a child and you were, your parents taught you the Ten Commandments, that they taught you that you're supposed to love one another. And now that you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, he goes on to say that you should be doing it even more because you have the Spirit of God in you and because of the example that Jesus Christ provided. In verse 24, John speaks of the concept of mutual, mutually abiding. Those who he keep Christ's commandments or abide in Him, then in turn Christ will abide in them. In other words, if we, if we live for Christ, then He will live in us. And a lot of people don't look at it that way. They think that they just want Christ to live in them, and then they get to live however they want. John spoke of this same exact thing. You have to realize that the writer of this letter of first, second, or these letters, first, second, and third John, is the same writer that wrote the Gospel of John. And back in the Gospel of John, in chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, we're not going to read all of this, but He's conveying the words of Jesus, and Jesus told his disciples and those around that he said, I am the vine, and my father is the gardener. That's what he said. And he goes on to explain that if a branch doesn't bear fruit, that it will be cut off. He says that no branch can bear fruit unless it's attached to the vine. In other words, we can't show the attributes of God, the attributes of Christ, unless we are connected to Him. You say, well, I don't see that. He wasn't talking to them about gardening here. This is a an idea that He's trying to convey to us that we have to stay connected to where our strength comes from. We are mere branches He is the vine. He is the one through which all the the things that we need comes through. If we're not bearing fruit, then we get cut off. And when we're cut off, if you take a pile of branches and cut them off the tree and throw them out in in the field, what happens to them? They die. They cannot live on their own. That was another point that that was made in this passage of Scripture. That that's one reason that the the branches that didn't produce fruit were cut off so that those that did could flourish even better. But John addresses this same thing in in his Gospel. And then back in 1 John 14 and 4 in our text today, 1 John Fourteen and twenty-four. Fourteen. Four and fourteen, I'm sorry. First John four and fourteen. No, that's John. That's not it. Let's read John 15 and 10.
If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands, and remain in his love. Again, it goes back to that that concept of mutual abiding. He's saying, if you do what I say and remain in my love, then I will abide in you, and you need to be obedient to the commands that I've given you, just as I've been obedient to the work that I was given to perform on earth. You see, Jesus had a mission when he came to earth. He was born as a baby, he was born as a man, and he came to earth, but he had a choice. I believe that the the man, Jesus Christ, could have made choices along his life and said, you know what, I don't think I want to die. I don't think I want to die for all these people. They hate me, and I just don't think I'm going to do it. So he's saying that just as I came into this world and I obeyed my Father's will, that's what we need to do. Pretty simple, actually. And John is saying in in both the Gospel of John and in 1 John that obedience is the condition for continuous abiding. We cannot abide in Christ if we're not obedient to him. Just as he could not abide in the Father had he not been obedient to the mission that he was sent to accomplish. So then how does the believer know that Christ abides in him? 1 John 3 and 24 says, We will know it by the Spirit he gave us. How do you know? You'll know it by the Spirit. Well, I don't know that I have the Spirit. Then you can't be sure. I believe that's why it's so important that we receive the Spirit of God into our life. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. There's, there's churches that say that it's not, it's not necessary to receive the Spirit. I don't know how you can get around this scripture if you don't believe that it's necessary to receive the Spirit. Because how else would people know? And how would we know that Christ lives in us if his spirit's not in us? In John's gospel, he wrote that we would bear fruit or have the attributes of a person that only only a person can have that is connected and truly connected to Christ if we stay connected to him. In other words, if we want to have the the different attributes that Jesus Christ showed on earth, then as this scripture says, we have the spirit in us, then we will show those attributes or that fruit. What are those fruits that we will show? Love, charity, all of the things that are listed and you look at all the emotions and, and all of the things that Jesus Christ did on earth. He sacrificed himself. He turned the other cheek. He taught us that, that even though people hate us, we should love them back. He taught giving of ourselves. If we want to know if we really have the Spirit of God in our life, look and see what the fruit is. There's too many people that try to gauge it by other things. The Spirit gives us power for living a righteous life and power to love others as Christ did. Because I think sometimes without the power of the Spirit and the the Holy Spirit in our life, we could not love those that hate us. As human beings, it's human nature that if somebody doesn't like you, you just don't like them back. But with the Spirit of Christ in us, then we should have the attributes that He had. If you go back and read John 15, 1 through 17, where we were talking about before, you'll see that John also placed a tremendous uh, em- emphasis on loving others, even back in the Gospel of John. In John 15 and 12, my command is this, love each other as I've loved you. No other way to really interpret that. In John 15 and 17, this is my command. Love each other. I don't care who you are, you can't really twist that one very much. 
it's pretty clear John was saying that we have to love one another. That's right. So the evidence of Christ abiding in us would be that we are abiding in Him or following principles of Christ. We love Him. We love others. And the Spirit lives in us. And then, of course, we know that if the Spirit lives in us, as Acts 1 and 8 says, we will receive power and we will be witnesses. You say, well, I don't see all that stuff in my life. Then if that's the case then maybe we should go back and question whether or not we have the Spirit in our life. Those are things that should show. Those are things that must show in a Christian's life. We have to abide in Him, because when we do, He says He will abide in us. We have to love Him. We have to love others, and we have to have the Spirit living in us. Amen. That's what it said. But, but you don't understand. I might not have all those things and I might not do all those things, but I give my tithes on a regular basis. Well, that's just great. And I attend church every service. I go to church so much. Just go back there and look at the pew. There's an outline. I'll read this. The whole church watched in nervous anticipation as the visitors sat where the Martins have sat for 42 years. But I go to church all the time. I even have my own seat. I know the words to every song we sing. I don't even have to look up the screen. Watch. I pray. I read my Bible. I know how to raise my hands. I can raise them this way, this way, this way, this way. See, I know all the right ways to do it. I must be saved. And it used to be, look how high I can pile my hair on my head. In that case, then Marge Simpson is definitely saved. The truth is this, though. When we act like Christ, it is then and only then that we can call ourselves Christians. All that other stuff that you tithe and you attend church and, and you know the words to the songs and you pray and you read your Bible and, and you do all the things that you think are important, those things might be good, but they will not save you and they do not prove that you have the Spirit of God in your life. You know why? Because I can do all those things without the Spirit of God in my life. It's true. Amen. You see, it's not just that the world's point of view is often skewed. The point of view of many churches has often lost focus of what Christianity really is too. We've placed emphasis on the things that are not really important as to our sign of Christianity. And we've forgotten about what John wrote about time and time again, about loving one another, about abiding in Christ. The only way that Christ can abide in you is if you abide in Him. And a lot of churches have moved away from that. Why? Because it, 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 it offends some people. Because it might make them think they're not saved. Well, guess what? If you're not saved, I would hope that somebody would tell you you're not saved and tell you what it takes to be saved. 1 John 4, verses 1 through 6. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. 
But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. John ended the chapter previous, in chapter 3, with an explanation of the evidence of Christ abiding in us and us abiding in him is the work of the Holy Spirit through us. But then, how can we tell the difference between what the Holy Spirit is and what another spirit might be? And I believe that John's discussion in chapter 4 on testing the Spirit contains four elements. One thing he got across was you don't trust every spirit. He gave a command to test the spirits. He gave a reason for testing the spirits. And then he gave an explanation of how to test the spirits. There are a lot of people today that will just follow after anyone that comes along that has a good story. Or they can hoot and holler, or they can, they can do all kinds of things, and oh, you ought to just hear him preach. What's he preach about? I, I don't remember. But he preaches really good. You see, a lot of people don't want to hear the word. They want to hear the words. They want to listen to the man. They don't want to listen to God. And John is telling his readers and us today not to indiscriminately accept what every spirit had to say. Just because someone comes along and calls himself called of God doesn't just mean they're called of God. I remember a, an evangelist used to come to the church quite often. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. And he talks about this man that went to his pastor and, and said that he had gotten his GPC, Go Preach Christ. And the pastor said, You sure that wasn't Go, go Plow Corn? And he gave his pastor an example, and then everybody was sure it was go plow corn. John says that we are to test these spirits to see whether their origin is from Christ or whether it's not. The reason was that in John's day, there were many false prophets spreading their heretical teachings among the people. And guess what? Still going on today. By definition... A prophet speaks on behalf of some spirit. In Scripture, a true spirit speaks for God, or as John speaks here of the Spirit of God. In John 3, in verse 3 rather, John points out that false prophets speak for the spirit of the Antichrist. John describes this person in verse 6 as having the spirit of falsehood. This person just a liar. And it hasn't changed much in our society that there are people that come along saying that they're proclaiming the Word of God, and yet when you look at what they say, it doesn't match up with the Word. How do we know if it matches up with the Word? We have to know what the Word says. Next, John addresses how Christians can recognize the Spirit of God in a teacher or someone that comes along. I believe the main test, and what John was trying to get across, is that if a teacher comes along and he acknowledges the incarnation of Christ or the fact that Jesus Christ was born as a man on the earth to sacrifice his life for the sins of everyone, then that's a sign that they're telling the truth. Anybody that comes along and denies that, John said's a liar. Why is that so important? But because without that incarnation of Christ, 
there is no basis for our salvation. Everything we talk about, everything we teach about is a lie. If that's not true. John had warned his readers in other writings of the Antichrist. But he assured them that through the Spirit, they could live in victory over the Antichrist that they had been warned of. Their victory was this. It was through the Spirit of God that lived in them. It all comes back to the same thing. John is saying over and over and over, the proof that you are a Christian, the proof that you are a follower of Christ, the proof that you abide in Christ, and now the proof to overcome those false teachers lies in the Spirit that is in you. And people say, well, what's so important about receiving the Spirit? Because it's everything. It's the promise that was given to us. When Jesus went away, He said, I'll send you a comforter. That comforter is the Holy Spirit. First John 4 and 4. He said, because the one who is in you is greater than the one that's in the world. Second John Verses 7 through 10. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but you may be fully rewarded. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. He he felt pretty strongly about this. If somebody comes along that doesn't teach what I'm telling you, if somebody comes along teaching you anything other than you must receive the Spirit of God into your life, don't listen to them. He explained that by saying that these false teachers are influenced by the, the Spirit of the Antichrist. Antichrist being... This is Christ, and anything that's not is Antichrist. He wasn't talking about a particular figure at that point. He's talking about a spirit that that prevailed among those people. The sad thing is that even though those with the spirit of the Antichrist speak from the point of view of the world, a lot of people tend to pay close attention to what they have to say. People that have nothing but the point of view of the world. And there's people that will flock after them as if they had some great revelation to offer. An example would be St. Al Gore. He has started a, a movement that has become almost a religion. You go, well, why do you say that? This is from an article on treehugger.com. I'm not kidding about that either. That is a website. This is from a review on treehugger.com. The Gaia Napa Valley Hotel and Spa in California has made some changes. This is a quote. Another nice touch is the replacement of the standard hotel room Bible with a copy of An Inconvenient Truth. I'm not kidding. There's a a person on the radio that I listen to quite a bit that said back some time ago before this happened that some people will actually start turning to the whole global warming, being green, and all those things. They'll actually turn that into a religion that they will worship. And then here you find that here's a hotel. We don't need the Bible in there. Let's put a copy of Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth in there. There are probably more people that will fall into step with the invisible fight on global warming than those that will fall into step with the Word of God. And that's sad. As Christians, 
we need to guard against falling in the trap of becoming under or of coming under the influence of the materialistic influence of our culture. It's not wrong to buy things. It's not wrong to have nice things. It's not wrong to get nicer things. If you already have something that's nice and you want something that's nicer and you can afford it, knock yourself out. There is nothing wrong with having things. It's not wrong to enjoy the blessings that God brings into our life. And honestly, there is no hard, fast rule for gauging materialism because ultimately it's an issue of the heart. I can't say that you can only have this much and be a Christian because some people can have this much and be a Christian and some people can't have this much and be a Christian. So when we become materialistic is a condition of our heart. It's when we start looking at the things as being more important than the God, and that's when we've gone too far. Amen. Paul said something that's interesting in Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. He said, I know what it is like to be in need, and I know what it's like to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Paul had been in many different economic situations in his life. At one point, when he was on top of the world as a Pharisee, he was doing well. He probably stayed at the nicer places. He ate the better food. He said, I know what it's like to eat well. But then all of a sudden, he finds himself on a road and he's converted to Christianity and all the people that were his friends hate him. And because he had killed so many Christians, a lot of them hated him. He really didn't have a lot of people that just thought he was the greatest thing in the world. And so he knew what it was like to be on the other side. But he said that even though I've been through all these different economic situations, the one thing that I know is important is that I can get through all of these things through Christ that gives me strength. Now think about what we've been talking about all morning. The Spirit that is in us. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. That's the Spirit that is in us. It's not us that can do everything. Paul didn't give himself any credit. He said he could only do all those things through Christ. Again, the answer here is keeping our eyes off of the world, off of ourselves, and on Jesus. We live in a world that we have seen has an effect on us, even though we don't realize it often. And it's impossible not to see some things. I mean, there are things that you drive down the road and you just see a billboard, and you're going to see it. You can't stop from seeing it. But what you can control is the influence that it has on your life. Or things like our neighbor gets a new car. So we have to get a new car. And not just like one like the neighbors, but one just a little bit nicer. You go, well, that's not the way I am. That's the way a lot of people are. Our economic situation today is a lot of it is due to that very fact. The person said, well, I want a bigger house. You can't afford a bigger house, but I want a bigger house. So they go out and buy a house that they can't even pay the interest on the payments, and then all of a sudden the payments go to what they're supposed to, and they can't afford the house. Guess what? Everybody else knew that up front. But they saw somebody else get a new house, so why can't I get one? And that's the things that John is talking about here. That these are the things that we're influenced by and we don't even realize that we're influenced by these things from the world. You say, well, how does that draw me away from God? Because I've seen people that, that went out and they got all these things, they run the credit cards up and they're in debt so much that all of a sudden they have to work on Sunday. 
They have to work all these extra hours. They have to spend more time at the office, which means they don't spend time with the family, which means the family falls apart. Why? Because of stuff. Indirectly, that's where it came from. One of the things that a good salesman will do when you're looking to buy something, and I'm not going to say whether I've said this or not, you're looking at this and you're smiling, and a good salesman will say, you know, you work hard. You deserve that. And we tell ourselves, yes, I do. And the world shouts at us every day, you deserve this. Look at this new product. You deserve this. Your car doesn't have a 40 gigabyte memory in the radio that if you're riding down the road and you hear a song you like, it put it in storage and you can back it up and listen to it again. Your car won't park itself. Look at this one. It shows the guy sitting in the car and he just pushed the button and it parallel parks itself. I have to have that. I have to have a car that parks itself. Everybody knows parallel parking is hard, so that justifies buying that car. When's the last time you parallel parked? Cruise control. That's right. That's right. That's what everybody should have. You just push a button and then you just go find you something to drink and drives itself. McDonald's says that you deserve a break today, so get up and get away. But not just anywhere. To McDonald's. You deserve that break. So get up and go go to McDonald's for breakfast. You deserve that. Now, I'm not anti-McDonald's. I'm not saying that Ronald McDonald's antichrist. Nothing like that. My point is this. No matter how spiritual you are, those things tend to have a draw on us. And then there's things that aren't quite like McDonald's. The, the advertisements that draw people in by the millions. But one thing you'll never see is a cigarette ad that pictures a guy laying at a hospital bed on a ventilator making an ad about smoking. No. What you see is a cowboy. The macho guy. Got his cowboy hat on up on a horse. The guy that every little boy wanted to be was that cowboy. And he smokes. Why shouldn't I? You'll never see an advertisement for any kind of alcohol that uses as their spokesperson this this disheveled old guy laying on the street puking in the gutter. You don't see that on an ad. You see these beautiful young partying people at a big party having fun, just dancing and the music's and the lights and everything's just great. I want to be like that. I'm not happy in my life now. And look at those people, how happy they are. I want to go do that.
And we are influenced. Young people are influenced when they see that. They say, well, my life isn't anything like that. And if that's what it takes, then I want to go do that. The problem with the image that the world portrays is that it's one of temporary happiness. And then on the other side is living for God. If there were no such thing as heaven and there was no such thing as hell, I can tell you that, this, that the after effects of an encounter with God leaves no hangover. In fact, it's the exact opposite. The after effects of an encounter with God leads to happiness and joy and peace. And although many things in the world are great, and there's nothing wrong with having things, as we said, often what happens is that when we get those things, we draw closer to them, and when we draw closer to them, we draw further away from God. Look at the Israelites when they traveled from from Egypt to to the promised land. God provided all of their needs. They get into the promised land. They're supposed to go in and conquer all the, the people that were there. But every now and then, somebody would pick up one of those cute little idols as a souvenir. And they would take it with them, and it really didn't mean anything. But after they had it for a while, you find that some of them started worshiping those idols instead of the God that brought them to where they were. exactly right you buy a computer nowadays by the time you get it home and get it set up it's obsolete Lanny Wolf wrote a song many years ago it says the world will try to satisfy that longing in your soul you may search the wide world or but you'll be just as before there'll come a time when death will call you riches cannot help you then so come to Jesus for only he can satisfy And the chorus says, only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only He can take your heart and make you whole. He'll give you peace you never knew, sweet joy and love, and heaven too, for only Jesus can satisfy your soul. The thing that we need to be sure of as Christians is that we have made our life line up with the Word of God, not man-made religion. We spoke earlier of prophets. The Bible gives a clear guideline for someone that's a prophet. One thing they have to do is they have to prophesy in line with the Word of God. And number two, what they say is going to happen, it has to happen. That's how you know a prophet. And as bad as the world's influence is on us, the influence from false prophets is probably even worse because they do it in the name of God. And I believe the only way that we're going to stay out of the influence of some of these false prophets is that we know what the Word says. David said that your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you don't know the word, you don't know when they're telling the truth or not. In, 19, in 2007, the National Geographic Channel did a documentary about a man named Michael, Michael Traveser. I watched this documentary the other night. He headed a cult in New Mexico called the Strong City Cult. The premise was this documentary was filled in, filmed in April of last year. And the premise was that on October 31st of 2007, the group would be changed into immortal bodies and be received up into heaven. There was about 65 people. As they interviewed many of the members, and many of them were children, you found the reason that the people followed this man is because he had convinced them that he was the Messiah. Remember what John said? about believing in the incarnation of Christ? This man stood on TV and he said, I am God in the flesh. And because people 
followed every one of His commands, and I won't even get into some of them because they're just not appropriate in church. When the big day came, October 31st at midnight, nothing happened. Imagine that. And you would think that the people would just all up and leave, right? No. They stayed right there. Even though they had been told for years that on this date at this time that they were going to all go to heaven and they wouldn't even let them on the property the last day, but the, they were filming from off at a distance and the people were laughing and shouting and singing songs about this guy and that they're going to heaven. And he had such a hold on these people that even when it didn't happen, he just told them another story and they stayed. In 1931, there was a baby born in Crete, Indiana. His parents named him James Warren Jones. Maybe you've heard of him. At one time, Jim Jones sold pet monkeys door-to-door to raise money for his church. Interesting fact. He named his church the Wings of Deliverance. It was later relocated to Indianapolis, and the name was changed to the People's Temple. And he wrote a book called The Letter Killeth. In his book, he pointed out what he felt were contradictions, absurdities, and atrocities in the Bible, but also stated that the Bible contains some great truths. Remember what John said. He claimed to be the incarnation of Jesus as well as some other great people. Again, remember what John said. After moving from Indiana to California for a short period of time, in 1977, he leased a 4,000-acre plot of land in Guyana from the government of Guyana. And he and his followers moved there to start a brand new life. There were people that were leaving this cult, coming back to the United States, and there was all types of reports of abuse going on in this cult. So there was an investigation that was conducted, and it was headed by a congressman named Leo Ryan. In 1978, Congressman Ryan and several others went to Guyana to see if the allegations were true. After three, de- three days of interviewing people, this group decided to go home. When they reached the airstrip, several of Jones's followers started shooting at them, and when it was over, six people had died, including the congressman. Now, Jim Jones knew that he was in serious trouble. He had just had his people kill a congressman. So what he did is he convinced all of his followers to drink Kool-Aid laced with cyanide. The children were given it by injecting it down their throats with a syringe. Those that tried to escape were shot. Jones was found himself with a bullet in his head. When it was over... 913 people, including 276 children, were dead. If you look at the steps of both of these men, they follow right down what John was talking about. How do you try the spirits? The one thing was, If they deny the incarnation of Jesus Christ, then it's not true. Both of these men said that they were God incarnate. You know, it's interesting that we see those things, but the reason John wrote about it is because there was people in his day that were doing the same thing. It's, it hasn't changed. And there are many influences in our life, and, and the nature of, them, of some of them are so horrific that we would we'd never consider them. But these people, had you asked them several years before if they would have ever done that, they would have said absolutely not. 
All of these people that were interviewed claim to be following God. We, not, we need to not just be careful of the influence of the world. We need to be careful from the influence of anyone claiming to be sent by God that isn't. What, is going, what was going on in John's day is still going on today. It's just a little bit worse. How do we stand against it? By being full of the Spirit. By following the Word of God. By listening to God when we pray. Listening to godly teaching. And I say godly teaching because you'll know it's godly if it matches up with the Word of God. And here's what it comes down to. Satan wants to destroy you. He doesn't care how he does it. It doesn't doesn't matter to him if he destroys you by the influence of the world or if he destroys you through the influence of somebody that comes saying that they were sent by God. Either way, he gets what he wants. You're destroyed. If we are full of the Holy Spirit and we follow the principles of the Bible, the good news is we will not be deceived by either one. God bless you.